0: what's up guys welcome back to another episode of block exploring the blockchain episode 367 today i have nathan linga co-founder for electric here to talk about their decentralized exchange and their mainnet that's coming up here on monday nathan welcome to the show man super happy to have you here it's going to be a real fun conversation how are you doing i'm doing great thank you for having me very excited i've been looking forward to it for a while let's do it yeah man it's gonna be fun um before we jump in and everything i'm sure people are gonna be very curious as to who you are and what you do mm-hmm. um so before we start talking about electric and what you guys have going on tell me a bit about yourself um what, what's your background what did you do prior to electric uh did you do stuff within the web3 space is this your first time in web3 um, yeah what's your what's your story
1: um for sure so i'm i'm lucky enough to have grown up and started my career purely in crypto. So I'm as native as DGN, as DeFi native as I can get. Um, My background is uh, development and I spent a lot of time kind of studying and and learning about game theory and applied financial mathematics. Um, I I was very lucky when I was younger to to play Minecraft early on Um, and it got to a point where I was, you know, like playing around, getting bored and like, I can probably make this a bit better. So I learned how to code with command blocks back in the day if, if people get that reference mm-hmm. i assume most people will uh, but if not it was just an interactable way to code onto, my, onto minecraft I'm like yeah this is pretty interesting so i ventured towards you know python and, and javascript and java c c++ and then kind of went a bit crazy and fell down a deep rabbit hole of coding um which was fun for a while until i started at university and they taught me the names of what i was teaching myself and it got really boring so i kind of died like my enthusiasm for, enthusiasm for coding died around then but when i was about uh 16, uh, 16, 17, I, I don't know. In, in 2020, you no, know, in 2017, late 2017, I started mining Ethereum after a friend said, Oh, start, start mining Bitcoin. I'm like, Nah, it's around for what, nine years now, eight years, sorry, I don't, I don't see a point in, in being late. I might as well try and be early. And and at that point, I was also very into, like, in, in, you know, I, I mentioned coding, so I, I was always looking at, looking at how to take like philosophical ideologies, to combine it with code, like the code as law principle. So when I was reading through Ethereum and, and the vision to be a world computer, it made a lot more sense. Uh, combined with the fact that you can, you know, you see all these big data companies growing in in, in Web two, and that they're, they're growing the most because they have the most data, and that that's the economy of scale. So to me, I also saw a value in Ethereum storing data of transactions, um, whatever they happen to be for, for whatever smart contracts for institutions in the future. So I saw, I sort of saw a value of of aligning a fundamental value for a token like Ethereum with the data it had captured. So whereas Bitcoin, I, I get the I view it as a proof of concept that a distributed decentralized network can work. However, I didn't really get the value of where the currency was coming from apart from the network. Um, I'm not calling it a Ponzi by any means, but I, but I could really trace down a value for Ethereum. So I kind of started mining Ethereum, and at the same time I was Uh, quite heavily focusing and studying uh, market making and high-frequency trading because in Australia, there's a, a large... HFT firm called Optiva that I wanted to uh, you know, get an internship after uni but I obviously got a bit sidetracked with crypto um, but they are an HFT firm so I spent some time learning about market making inventory, arbitrage, liquidations all these things and when I was looking at Ethereum which in its early stages didn't really have that many uh, DeFi protocols, there was the basic, you know, that, like, like they had there was 8th Lend in, and now this is like 2018 there's, there's 8th Lend, there's o- o- OX there was, you know, Maker, just the really, really basic primitives in the ecosystem and there was the, the the clear fact that there were multiple um, order books. You know, there, there weren't really AMMs. You knew hadn't come around, but there were versions of AMMs, but there were different order books to trade on, and that kind of created arbitrage. So early on, I, I started in crypto properly just by building um, bots and connecting it to my, my, my client that I was running, the my node, uh, to, to capture what eventually became known as MEV. Um, at the time, it wasn't called MEV. It didn't have a name, and I did this for, you know, a good, three or four months, um, just trialing it out, optimizing it. And then, you know, in in 2019, well, just before 2019, uh, you know, in 2019, the uh, Flashberries paper came out about front running the mempool, the the paper that created, that that named MEV. The, The team were testing it beforehand. So at one point along the journey, they like went from like making a good amount of money to maybe being cut by a tenth of that you know and i was like what what's going what's going on and then eventually i learned that they were testing it and they were doing much better than me because they're much smarter than me and you know my my role in business is don't uh insert emotion so i try and remove any ego and i was like you know what i'm not making money here i'll pivot and i, I built up sort of a, a following on twitter as an anon so uh just writing about things on blockchain and, and just the, the problems the the, the solutions that it offered whatever so i sort of started offering my services towards people who wanted to build blockchains. So I, I built, I set up in a non-group with about uh, three other people. And we, we started building blockchains, we built a few layer ones, the, you know, in the future we built some dApps and we built a layer two. And it was all good fun and all just experimental to to learn more. And build a network, but unfortunately, at one point, I almost got doxed, decided to leave that side of the of, of the crypto space, which kind of then resulted in me atrophying um, all of those networks, because I couldn't really say, hey, it's me as Nathan, mm-hmm. as my non-account. So, uh, anyway, after that, I um, went to go work for, a, 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 I was in Australia. And I went to go and work at a firm called ZeroCap, and they're the the, the largest crypto native institution in Australia. They offered, they did market making, uh, they did uh, structural products and options, uh, custody, um, and, and I, I ran the innovation team. So we had we had a research lab, we had consulting for uh, dev projects, for MEV projects. It was it was good fun, but after a while, I kind of realised that. Australia is quite a small economy. It usually trails behind the U.S. and the U.K. and Europe by about five to ten years. And I have high ambitions and want to make a lot of money. Um, so I, I realized that Australia wasn't the place for me. Uh, moved to London early on in London. I, I was fortunate enough to meet a team that were working on a fund of funds. Uh, I quickly convinced them to try something else, and we've now built a venture studio. And our first project that we're putting all of our time into is is electric. And you can see what they are the the logo one here, um, which is the uh the first dex on a new layer two network called lightlink yeah
0: so what makes um electric different i know it's on a layer 2 but you know in terms of as far as dexes go you know what makes it stand out what's different about electric
1: yeah i mean you know that the, there's an interesting principle of in, in economics called creative destruction right which is that small innovations take place and destroy the previous technology um there's ways to exploit that process that, 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 that we'll speak about a bit later. But um, yeah, th- what, what's unique about Electric is we try and resolve the issues that were created by Uniswap when it pivoted from V2 to V3. And the main issue was that, you know, they added concentrated liquidity, awesome. They added the ability to have directionality in liquidity provision, fantastic, um, which can re- reduce impairment loss um, if, you don't, if, if you know what you're doing. But knowing what you're doing is being a market maker. Right. So they said, cool, uh, uh, Uniswap V1, V2, you can provide liquidity across the whole entire curve. Amazing. Ever could be a liquidity provider. It wasn't profitable. Being an LP was not as good as being a market maker. DeFi was not better than traditional finance and not achieved goals. So they launched V3 to pretty much create an, a, a, a range based order book. Great, concentrated liquidity. But that went right back to being a market maker. So to be, you know, to, to make profits as a liquidity provider, given that most take on significant permanent loss. Um, and then a permanent loss is just uh, that, the, I guess, because of the fact that LP positions are quoted in USD, um, when there's a, a, a series of trades coming through on the buy side or the sell side, you have to give up your holdings um, as that holding goes up. So you aren't exposed to the upside, you're now only exposed to the downside or the you know maybe non-movement or neutrality and movements of the quote asset that you've just acquired in that swap of the AMM. Um, so a lot of them take, a lot of LP a permanent loss usually resulting in, I think uh, th- there was an interesting data point or statistic that in two years LP as an ETH dipole lost about 60% of what they could have if they were just hud- like huddling, right, both sides mm-hmm. of the of their LP uh, position. So that is a clear indication that LP didn't get simpler, it got more advanced. You know, so you have all these solutions coming out with like active liquidity managers, you know, Arrakis Finance, Gamma, um, there's there's heaps and heaps, but none of them actually are built into the layer of the DEX, you know, even with uh, Uniswap V4 hooks, it still makes it a bit more complicated to add in uh, direct active liquidity management at the bottom layer. And there's now DEXs that are doing it, but they all do it algorithmically um, to keep it, you know, more decentralized and and given that AI can't be set up in in a decentralized way um uh but but yeah so the unique thing is that we use machine learning on this new network which can support gas abstractions and i'm sure we'll speak up a bit more about that soon uh, as, as i'm pretty sure you spoke to, to roy from lightly recently, right
0: yeah of course yeah cool
1: um yeah so we can support unparalleled capital efficiency um and directionality because we pretty much now offer the infrastructure that market makers would be using in terms of how they calculate inventory um the different m- models that are being used and mapped onto onto our order books um to uh amms so we get to improve the liquidity provider experience hence uh make more for lps obviously when you make more for lps you lose from uh, the traders there's it's a zero-sum game but mm-hmm. we've built a, a pretty cool economics model to it further incentivize um lp is, sorry traders to, to close up that gap
0: so what does that trading experience kind of look like for people that are on the platform you know whether it's a novice trader someone that's just coming in they're swapping a couple things they're playing around with it versus someone that is you know a professional they're a pro they know exactly what they're doing they want to adjust everything um they want to use limit orders they want to you know get into the weeds of it um you know how much can you cater to both sides of that equation
1: yeah, amazing question. I mean, there's, uh, you know, everyone's building for the next billion users of Web3 but they aren't coming. So you got to look at what's in front of you now, right? And in front of us, there's great traders who, you know, tried fire started at uni or, or have some background or experience doing this. And there's your basic traders, right? So what we are offering in our version two of Electric coming out uh, into mainnet around late February of, of 2024 is a pro trader and a uh, you know, light version, right? And the light version is, is essentially just a more custom customizable version of the UniSwap V3 interface. Uh, to the extent that you can see charts, you can see candles, you can change timelines for you know candles or for the actual chart, and then just just basic trading where you have you know what what you want to buy, what you can sell for it, um, and just just facilitating trades as well, along with very basic um, limit orders. We have our own uh, UX team that does a lot of uh, data collection to determine what's the best approach to creating the most, not necessarily the most advanced, but ad- more advanced uh, trading tools for the most simple users. So we have this in a light mode. And then for our uh, pro traders, we have a really, really cool interface. I mean, my I- in my view, the issue with a lot of DEXs and the reason that they don't get as much adoption within DeFi as they could compared to using sexes and, and you know, exchanges is because there's not as, as much data uh, uh, focused on AMMs and LPs. So what we've done is we've gone through every main and, and you know influential data point that can be written about or denoted for LPs and AMMs, and created a, a glass nodes experience where you can customize your own interface in the, of, of of data. For example, if you're an LP, you can initially take on the the default LP uh, set of data points. That might be LVR, um, who's who's getting the most fees that the largest liquidity providers in the pool and we have a lot more that we'll be announcing over the following weeks with blog posts on our medium but you could also have um, for traders where it's saying um, what slippage you'll take, um, what a dynamic fee would be like uh, where your profitability is going to, um, how likely you are to win this trade S- certain things that an AMM would focus on um, but most uh, data providers should focus on what works in TradFi and then mapping it onto DeFi which doesn't really make sense because you know we don't live in a schumorphic society um, so then as well as that, as well as having all this data tailored towards uh, LPs and, and traders on an AMM, we also have a because we're again built on a, a network that's, that can support gasless abstractions, and hence we can cover the gas for our users. We can do uh, limit orders because, for example, if you know if, if you're placing a limit order on a dex and have to pay two dollars in gas to replace the order, that's a huge area, friction point. But we can do it for free. Um, when you can do it for free, you can create uh, trailing limit orders. So, for example, you want to take a, a do a take profit or a stop loss, but you want to continuously move down with the price or move up with the price, you know. Um, then you can do trailing limit orders, which is quite cool. When you can do limit orders, which is being achieved through what we call an abstracted AMM because we have layers on top of the AMM that can allow for uh, or limit orders to be executed and, and called upon when necessary. Uh, you can do TWAPs. Right, So we're able to, t- to achieve um, time-weighted average price orders, which is quite cool for large traders. And uh, we are also going to be deploying a zero-knowledge-based private mempool on Lightlink uh, to be able to facilitate Z- ZK-based iceberg orders. Um, and that's quite unique because most people can't, most dApps can't do that now unless you're on like, you know, a, a private network like uh, Aztec that also can support smart contracts. But it's not been done in our capacity, where we remain fully compatible with it, with, with the EVM, but can put push trades by using this zk uh, mempool.
0: Nice, man. I really like the customizability behind the data and yeah. the, the analysis you can do for charts. For a trader, is there an ability to submit or publish those strategies, maybe that are put together on on top of Electric? Um, like, have you guys thought about maybe creating like some kind of like community or board for that? Uh,
1: this far, we haven't because we we want to actually transition to a into a DAO as soon as we can, mm-hmm. um, and the and that DAO transition will. I mean, fundamentally enable us to let the community take take charge. My view on those things is that they don't work because there's too many friction points. There's too many evolving strategies. Um, you know, you, you look at things like eToro, that's done well, but they have consistently added in more uh, trading tools, more uh, tokens with crypto, more stocks, more you know equities and all these different things because their actual business model of relying on follower trader didn't work that well. Um, with, <laughs> you, you know, you get my mm-hmm. point. So if the community wants to do it in the future, great. But for me as a founder, I don't say that as a su- successful or, uh, long-term and by long-term, I mean, even three years, long-term
0: business model. Got it. What about in terms of trading fees? I know for a lot of traders, obviously that is the the main thing that dictates what, uh, platform they actually use and what they trade and how they trade. Yeah. Um, how do you guys, you know, keep those fees as low as possible, and what options do you guys offer?
1: Uh, yeah. So to keep uh, th- the fees low, I mean, similar to V3, we just have three different fee tiers, um, mm-hmm. and more can be added in with uh, community votes. There'll be uh, again like V3, 100 bips or one percent. There'll be uh, I think it's yeah, 30 bips, and then. Uh, one one bit, one, uh, 0.01%, right? So all mm-hmm. of these different feed tiers, obviously they, they kind of relate to different uh, structures. So for example, if you're trading stable coins, you can have way, way, way lower slippage and lower fees. Um, and then if you're trading a more volatile asset or maybe two volatile assets where one's a quote, um, you know, like for example, obviously wrap Bitcoin and, and ETH is not that uh, volatile anymore, but, you know, two, two meme coins, for example, that you do it in the 100 bps uh, fee tier. uh. But one thing that we're working on inside of our Code tokenomics model is rebates for traders. Uh, what's cool about uh, about Lightlink, and I recommend everyone listening to go listen to the podcast uh, that, that that Brandon hosted with, with Roy of Lightlink, is they have a lot of enterprises on their chain. And a lot of these enterprises have users and all these users want tokens. So all these enterprises are launching tokens. But When you don't have a DEX, you can't have trading value. You can't have value, right? Trading allows for value and, and liquidity. Um, and because of that, we're in a, a cool spot that we can take the model that's been used by Velodrome on optimism, which is only driven by BD. It's just successful BD has allowed Velodrome to grow as much as they have. So where we're, we're going to say to all the enterprises, Hey, we want you to be creating a positive flywheel for your own liquidity pool. And the way we do that is by saying, allocate, you know, one, two, three, four, five K in your own token every week to, uh, to a bribery, a, a bribery campaign or incentives. And then that goes out to traders as, um, as, as, uh, as a rebate, pretty much, based on a, a weekly epoch. Um, and what's awesome about that, and I mentioned a positive flywheel, is that if you have traders getting rebates for trading to this liquidity pool, you then have the fee that we mentioned earlier um, being pushed through more frequently. When that uh, fee take, uh, goes through, you then have the, the, the subsequent LP reward going higher. So... Traders come, come through more because they're getting higher rebates. Then LPs come in more because they're getting higher trading, uh, LP fees. And that kind of build a flywheel of a better trading environment with lower slippage and, and, and greater depth. So trading is the same as Uniswap. However, by using uh, an incentive campaign on top, on top of it and good BD as we have with you know all these connections through Lightlink, we're in a cool spot to
0: be able to uh, reward traders for using certain pools. In terms of, you know, what you can trade on top Mm -hmm. of Electric, um, you know, is it built on top of the Ethereum blockchain? Can you trade Ethereum tokens and Ethereum assets or um, are you also, you know, tapped into other chains as well? Like what's the breadth of trading possibilities here for um, those that come to Electric and they're doing swaps? You know, they're a pro trader. uh, They want to take advantage of, you know, different opportunities. What's available to them?
1: Yeah, so... We're in a a spot where we are going with Lightlink, right? And their bridge. So they're working on a lot of partnerships with with new bridges. And as new bridges come about, there'll be more liquidity. And more liquidity means more liquidity pools. And that means we can facilitate more trades and more more tokens, right? Mm -hmm. For now, at launch especially, we'll only be launching with a few pools because we're kind of, you know, we're having a soft launch this Monday. We don't want to try and blow down the gates from the start. We want to build it up naturally and, and organically with... Focusing more on the on the BD side for our enterprises and and building towards that pro trader interface. Um, I- importantly, though, there will be ETH. We are building on an Ethereum compatible, uh, EVM compatible network, Lightlink. Link, um, and, and and through that we are able to instantly have ETH. Um, we'll also have stable coins. We'll have a number of other layer two networks, uh, tokens, for example, uh, Matic and and Arbitrum and, and Optimism. Uh, and and link to some other key tokens. Uh, eventually, when as I mentioned, when there's more bridges, it'll be easier to bring more people in. But up until that point, no, we'll, we'll stick with just, just basic assets, assets at the beginning and expand as we see fit.
0: Okay. And then, in terms of where people can you know use Electric, is it only in the browser at the moment? Is there a Chrome extension? Is there a mobile application? How do you imagine people you know using this going forward? So right now, it's just it's just a web app. Um, yeah.
1: It's on the, when we launch, it'll be on the iPhone and on the desktop. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have a DAO and and the DAO will have the ability to execute and use a lot of the funding that we have from our, our tokenomics allocated towards the foundation. If they want to build a, a wallet, on an app so be it again to me that makes no financial or business sense because it's so challenging to build it and only works in a certain size look at MetaMask look at One Inch. I mean, even this week MetaMask was temporarily removed from the App Store you know that 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 says something about the difficulty in in you know combining standards of uh, of crypto and um encryption just as a a side point like look at the Solana phone with uh the Apple iOS or operating operating systems for Android and, and Google iPhones yeah
0: Do you think that limits the reach of potential user base, not being able to have a type of mobile application? I feel like that's something that's plagued this industry for quite a while, is everything being on desktop and not on mobile, or at least sufficiently.
1: 100%. um, Agreed. However, our main focus is pro traders. We facilitate both sides of it, but we usually target pro, pro traders and I don't really foresee a future where pro traders will be frequently using apps on their phone or a, iPad Yeah, But but your, your point for most decks is completely, completely
0: valid and, and that's a, a key. I mean, there's one of the many issues in our industry. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, to be fair, I don't use it very much or anything on my phone when it comes to Web3. I mean, there's some things I'd like optionality for, you know, maybe for like in wallet, um, swaps you know yep uh, but other than that you know when I really want to trade something I'm always on my desktop like I don't trust my phone like I, I want to make sure that orders are set right I want to make sure I can use the sure. studies and look at the chart so um, I guess there's, there's a, a vulnerability on your phone right because if you're like if you're doing it through
1: if you're at home on a laptop it's your Wi-Fi right? If you're doing it on your phone, there is a lot more risk of, you know, all these SIM swap attacks that, that have been taking place with um, friends tech, uh, mm-hmm. with certain data being stolen, you know, your encryption, your encryption keys can be taken very easily, especially if you keep it as a record on your phone or catch over on your phone. So it's sort of, you know, if you're looking at that as, a, as a, just a quick rabbit hole or a bit, bit of a tangent, like, there's a reason that there hasn't been as much adoption on on phones because technically it, it, it's more risky if you're looking at it as a as a developer building for these things you, you have to take on you have to make the trade-off of more dotability and usability and a better ux uh, at the cost of uh, a better security level right which is why now with with um the new ethereum improvement proposal um for you know uh, account abstraction it could be easier but Again, you have you have to look at the Lily effect and say, "Well, has it, how long has it been around for? Is it a, is it a recognised sound in
0: the industry yet? No, so you know, use a bit of caution." Got it. And then before this, you also mentioned that you guys are integrating uh, airdrops into Electric as well. Um, curious, you know, you know how that will work out and function, and you know how you see that kind of panning out.
1: Yeah, I mean, airdrops are a great way to boosh up communities, you know, that, that that's generally the main utility, if I'm being honest, apart from like gas tokens for networks, which actually makes sense, because it's anti spam proof, or as I mentioned, with Ethereum, it, it can create a value for for data, um, or, or, or the, the data can form a value of the token. Um, but yeah, so we're using an airdrop just to, 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 to bring users in and it kind of goes hand in hand with our effort economy um, to continue and preserve the value. But our airdrop is multifaceted it has four stages we're currently in the first phase and that's going to end with a one-million dollar airdrop uh based on liquidity we're putting into the pool um on how exchange, obviously on electric but what we are targeting on and, and what we're focusing on is for the first phase socials right socials testnet usage and and getting more eyes in the decks uh, it's very simple. We have a, a live Galaxy campaign. Um, that will be changing a little bit as we uh, look to make it more, uh, you know, just, just more attractive. Uh, that's the first phase, social. Um, and the edge up for, for the social um, isn't as heavily focused as, as uh, well, on a token because there's no token yet. We're doing our, our TGE in February along with our uh, V2 mainnet launch. Um, but we are doing an NFT collection. And the NFTs will have many utilities that like, you know, it's a way of building community stronger, um, you know, building a strong community, I guess, in the sense that you can, you know, have reduced trading fees. um, You can have access to different Discord groups, to Alpha, um, to to taking on a more active role as an ambassador, um, giveaways, conversations with the founding team or, or, you know, relying on our network for more people, uh, a bunch of different things that all uh, primarily relate to, how to give a community member member a better experience and get them like in a, a, and sticky uh so that, that's the first part of the airdrop phase two is focused much more heavily on liquidity providers because if you're thinking about like another there's like this perennial discussion around what's the real customer of a dex is it the liquidity provider or is it the trader our view is it's a liquidity provider and then you try and build financial designs around keeping traders there for a long period of time, as well as the fact that you're having a better interface, for example, with our Pro Inter- interface, that can have the customizable data focused on LPs and AMMs. Um, but yeah, so the second phase focuses on LPing. So obviously, you know, we're using a point-based system on Galaxy. So you can trade, to get points, you can interact, you get points, you can uh, provide liquidity, you get the most points. And obviously we're gonna have a higher incentive in terms of points allocated towards uh, LP or pool, sorry, without token, as well as trading on pools without token. So that's phase two, uh, phase three is very similar, but rather than emphasizing liquidity providers, we emphasize uh, traders and then phase four is a mystery stage. We aren't announcing it yet, but they'll, I can say as a, as a bit of an alpha leak, there will undoubtedly, uh, undoubtedly be a connection between phase one, two, and three with four. Uh, the last thing that's cool to think about is, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about the game theory of, of creating a good airdrop, and we've come out with two approaches to claiming the token. The first approach is quite simple. It's just an activity-based approach. So, for example, if you have, you know, received 1,000 or 2,000 USD in electric tokens, you have to push through 10 times that amount of volume on the exchange to claim it. Um, this isn't challenging. I mean, you know, if, if you're looking at pushing liquidity, you can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You can wash trade. I mean, wash trading on a DEX isn't as bad as it is on a central uh, exchange, because there are fees. You, there is a, a spam proof technique. Um, hence you have to be, have an incentive, which is the airdrop. And the other way that we're much more proud of is we we call it um, permadrop. And permadrop is a approach to, it's sort of like lock drop, but fundamentally what happens is post you claim the airdrop. You claim it into an, an NFT, right? And when claiming into an NFT, you have the unique ability on, on an interface to delegate the underlying tokens. So, for example, you might want to lend it out to a uh, a money market. You might want to lock it into our virtual economy. You might want to uh, provide liquidity on a pool A, pool B, pool C, whatever. So, you have all these different things you can do with our token. And we let you do those things. However, it's stuck and only able to be delegated from the NFT interface. You can't sell it. The way it works is we want to keep users, you know, interested in using the the, the protocol um, without selling a token. So if you, after 100 days, want to unlock the tokens and sell them, you can. But if you want to re-stake it, you'll get a 1.1%, sorry, 1.1X multiplier on the, on the next 100 days. So what we'll do is 100 days after, if you've received um, in, in yield from underlying tokens, you've received maybe 15k worth of logic tokens or 15k of just yield, it could be whatever, we'll give you an extra 10% on that. If you lock it for another 100 days, you'll get 20%. If you do it for, and then it starts to decrease, if you do it for 30 days, you get it for you 1.25x, 1. 2, 1. 2, or so 25%, then 30%, 40, uh, 40%, and it ends at 50%. So it's a cool way of thinking about keeping users in, giving them utility for the tokens that they, they, they can hold, um, whilst using emissions in the in the tokenomics to, 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 to ensure that it's, it's game theoretically sound.
0: You also mentioned something called uh, DLP earlier, and I, I believe you mentioned it was something that had to do with language models and DeFi, um, some combination between that, but you, you tell me more. What, what is DLP?
1: So DLP stands for Dynamic liquidity Provision. Um, This is our key USP of the DEX. It's something that we can only achieve on Lightlink, again, because we can attract away gas and cover it for our users. The way that DLP works is, as I mentioned earlier, as a key differentiator, we use a machine learning model, um, which I'll get into in a moment, to provide liquidity across the liquidity curve, uh, changing it periodically at three minute intervals because we can have no gas fees, um, which would normally really screw up this model. Um, and, and make intelligent predictions to be able to ensure a liquidity providers can be directional, right? Again, as I mentioned before, Uniswap v3, and concentrated liquidity, allows for uh, directed liquidity provision, which is awesome, but it doesn't make the assumption that the users know which direction to place liquidity into, right? And, and if you do know for five minutes or for five hours or for five weeks, people often won't come back and change it because it's, it's called passive liquidity provision. You know, that's what most people inherently do. So the way that DLP works, and this is, is quite interesting and, and hasn't been done before. In my, in my opinion, there's been no, uh, that's far apart from focusing on oracles and security, there's been no interaction or intersection between um, AI or machine learning and DeFi. But what we do is we, we use what's called a meta-heuristic AI. And this meta-heuristic AI is in control of 98 different agents. And each of these agents have been trained on a different set of data. Uh, so for example, one agent might be trained in high volatility one will be low volatility, one could be um, high volume, one low volume, one um, high uh, volatility, one low volatility. A- and whatever's in between, and whatever other factors we identify um, uh, based on this model. And what the meta AI or meta-USC AI will do is it will have the power to give weightings to each of the different uh, AI agents um, that's been trained and uh, that have been trained, sorry, and determine which will be most relevant for the market conditions in front of us now, in front of it now, sorry. Then what we do is we combine each of the data points and each of the different weighting for each of the uh, of the agents. So for example, it might be ten percent high volatility, uh, sorry, twenty percent high volatility, thirty percent positive sentiment, and and, and you know and, and whatever else. I'm just making things up now. And we'll make a prediction for every possible price. And this is where it gets interesting. We want to hedge ourselves across the entire liquidity curve. We don't want to be uh, vulnerable to a swan event, right? That's the worst thing you can have when using AI and, and making binary price predictions. We don't want to be binary. So what our model does is it makes predictions for every possible price that can occur on the price curve, on the liquidity curve, and then adds in an extra dimension, which is the likelihood or the probability of that price becoming um, true, that, that path happening, you know? So we're pretty much trying to say, this is where, uh, sorry, oh, this way, <laughs> it's, it's near it. This is where the price is now. We're going to say that there can be a price going this way, and this way and this way and this way and every possible way. Um, and then we weight each of those paths, right? Based on that weighting, we'll provide liquidity on the curve at that concentration. So, for example, if we have um in an ETH dipole, if we make a prediction that there's a 12% likelihood of it being uh 1.4k, right? Uh 15 likelihood of it being 1.41, 30% likelihood of it being 1.42, um, and so on and so forth, with 0.01% chance of it being at, at 0K, or, you know, 0.1K, and then a 0.000010 chance of it being at, um, in you know, infinity, like in the V2 model. We'll provide liquidity based on those concentrations. Obviously, we're going to have some uh, margins. So, for example, if it's lower than 0.01K, uh, sorry, 0.01%, we won't put any liquidity there because that would be just wasting um, rebalancing fees. But beyond that, it allows us to have liquidity where we anticipate the price most to be, Along the, along the liquidity curve um, and also be hedged for where else it could go, right? And that's the differentiator, which is we're hedged. We can reduce the loss by taking directionality. We can increase liquidity provider fees because we are constantly moving them around. Um, and then obviously when you have more liquidity where the price is going to be, you have you have a better trading environment. So you, you can provide lower slippage, greater depth um, and, and, and a much better trader experience for the pro traders that are making trades at a large size potentially using TWAPs or iceberg orders, um, without facing severe slippage.
0: This is really cool stuff. Um, What do you think about the future of language models, AI, you know, within the blockchain space, you know, working, you know, whether it's in DeFi or another niche? um, it, It seems like a really good combination of two technologies that can seem to really benefit each other.
1: A little while ago, I said that to a friend and he sent me a long article about a dystopian future where AI and, and, and blockchain are combined, um, where the AI completely gets autonomous and gets all the power and, sorry, autonomy <laughs> and just completely rules the world and, and ruins the world. It's a very interesting, interesting read. So, yes, but also people just try and do it because it's two big buzzwords that are, you know, one's dead. The Bitcoin, the blockchain buzzword is, is dead at the moment because we're in a, a pretty long, not long, a, a typical bear market. Um, and AI, which is slowly, the bubble is slowly popping, slowly um, in terms of valuations and, and, and deal flow going into it. I see a future. However, I find it hard to reconcile the centralized nature of uh, of, of AI, which is rec- almost required to be centralized. Unless you can build a, a blockchain focused on AI, which would be crazy expensive. Because again, think about this, right? Um, if you want to have a blockchain that's decentralized, you have to have validators, miners, sakers, whatever you want to do. Um, and to incentivize them to, to be validators, be stakers, you have to give them uh, some token, some reward. Um, and then to prevent spam transactions, you have to have gas fees, right? But AI or machine learning is run on so much data and so many different uh, computation, well, so much computation, sorry, happening at the same time. But to do that on the blockchain is like presently, in my opinion, theoretically and and, and practically impossible. So there are synergies with security, as I mentioned, with oracles, with 100%. Um, you can have a, a for, for doubts, you can have a judge, right? A judge and, and executioner who is not driven by counsel because counsel and governance hasn't worked yet. Um, it's like what people say, you know, cyber attacks are too prevalent. There's there's no way of, of valuing expertise. There's no way of saying who's better to make a decision here. There's no way of valuing, um, well, there's no way of finding challenging points between what people would agree on. Um, so the governance has failed. If you do it with the, with the judge and AI, uh, it could be, it, it could work, but again, putting that power into a self-executing AI is it, problematic. You know, you, you see what's happened with um, self-executing a DAOs, where when the proposition goes through, rather than a dev team working on it, the, the, the change goes through instantly. And, and that's resulted in heaps of scams, heaps of attacks, heaps of vulnerabilities have been, you know, highlighted from that approach. So, you know, the the most simple answer is no. Um, The best, in my opinion, the best way of looking at it could be language models, as you said, being used to simplify the UX of crypto. That could make sense. You can have the AI interacting with, I know Avalanche is looking at doing this, you know, the AI interacting with the blockchain, AI stands here and the uses it where where I am. And I can deal with a nice interface because the AI's role is to translate their complexities of of blockchains, uh, protocols, dApps, whatever, and make it just really simple and and, and readable and that could work. And the most simple version of that would be I want to describe a sophisticated trade, but I don't know what tools to use. You know, maybe I have to hedge my risk with an option. Um, I want to take on, you know, a a certain position on a liquidity curve. I want to buy this token here. I want to sell this one here. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm making this up now. But you can describe that in a sentence, as I've terribly done, and the AI model will translate that sentence into a trade, right? People have been speaking about this for so, so, so long, and it hasn't come into fruition yet. So, Maybe it can be done. That's very risky putting that much power with AI to to, to make trades that you wouldn't understand and putting your money in that. Um, so there's there's quite big vulnerabilities and and, and problems to look at to look into. Um, you, can, you can never approach these things with too much positivity, and and, and, and optimism. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes and no.
0: <laughs> what do you think about the? Future, I guess the current state of the crypto industry right now, I mean, obviously, we're in a bear market, we go through cycles, we're in the middle of the bottom point and a cycle right now, you know, eventually things will come back. But, you know, what what do you think the future is here for crypto? As we, you know, head into the next few years? You know, is it going to be much like what we saw in 2020, 2021? Uh, in 2017? In 2018, you know, is it going to be like hype and frenzy and scams and Ponzi's, or do you think we're going to get to the point where, you know, it's very institutionally invested in there's a lot of really good products and use cases, um, users, common everyday users are getting onboarded. Like, do do you see that the future we want, or do you think it's going to be, you know, this continuous cycle?
1: We're on an S curve, right? We're currently in the very saturated industry. Where, as I mentioned, we have this principle of creative creative destruction taking place where you can innovate with 5% and it's better and the other one is fucked up, it's finished, unless you have good uh, technology and good financial designs. So in that sense, there'll be scams, there'll be hype, there'll be terrible projects coming through until we reach that point of the S-curve where we have adoption, right? I am of the opinion that the next bull market will be the biggest because of the things that you mentioned, because institutions are looking to get involved, because there's ways for, for, for them to get involved, because things like fire blocks and analysis have you know, institutional and, and government and regulatory adoption and eyes on them that they all agree, agree this works, this work, so there's ways to do it. Regs are changing, they'll keep changing and they'll keep being shit and they'll, they'll take a very long time. But I can see this being the next and the largest bull market and the last big one, um, which is sad, but it kind of, that's the way that S-curves work. Um, There will be scams, there will be hype. Anytime there's a way to make money, whenever there's uh, uninformed liquidity, uninformed traders, uninformed buy uh, pressure, there's gonna be people capturing that, that like, you know, nascent um, and and newbie liquidity, we'll say, right? So that's a fact of of life. You can can apply that unfortunately to anything, but usually there's more regulations uh, around preventing it. And I don't think uh, the regulatory environment is advanced enough to, find uniform solutions to stopping stopping scams um, especially when they can't find you know a standard that they want everyone to abide by you know so there's there's problems and problems on problems and on layers of problems to resolve Um, but yeah I mean I I see the future changing positively for for crypto I think when crypto isn't the word that people are talking about fantastic that's when we're going to have adoption I don't say hey I'm using the Apple iOS system all the time you know Um, that doesn't make sense the Apple iOS (laughs) all the time (laughs) yeah so we'll see I, I think there's a lot, a lot a lot of friction points. No chains are really solving it well. Like recently, a, f- a few of my friends were giving me a, a, a preach about how Cosmos, Cosmos is the most um, user-friendly chain. And I spent, like, a, f- a friend of mine, sorry, spent about uh, 12 hours bridging to Terra to capture some uh, shitty, like, yield strategy that, you know, he had to buy gas in exchange, send it to the to, to the wallet, make three new wallets. Like, come on, that's not good. Uh, where's oh. the argument that, that, that that's good? So... Everyone has to say crypto for your grandmother, that's probably bullshit. But, you know, keep working towards
0: a high standard, right? Exactly. I mean, I love the enthusiasm and the communities that are built through throughout this industry. It's it's not like there's these passionate communities, you know, around automobiles or or rockets being launched into space or you know, health tech. You know, blockchain is a very unique technology where you have these niche communities that are just very outgoing and passionate and vocal. And I do think that that helps with uh, driving capital towards innovation. But at the same time, the user interface is terrible across the industry. Um, I've gone to so many different conferences and there's a lot of great technology, but you can't use it or it takes too long or it's just there's so many different ways people can screw up and lose their money or get hacked. There's bottlenecks and it's it's definitely something that needs to improve yeah
1: yeah, yeah great and, and and that will be the the right direction one of the one of the first times where it's actually driven by technology and not
0: the opportunity to make a quick buck exactly um you guys have a mainnet coming up on monday correct? yes so yeah. what what's that going to entail for you guys here on your roadmap
1: this is a soft launch um we want to get out there for the benefit of, of the Lightlink users, the benefit of the enterprises, and the benefit of DeFi on Lightlink, right? Uh, it'll be, as I mentioned, the soft launch you know, you can, you, you, you'll be able to trade a few liquidity pools that will be seeding along with the enterprises that will be creating liquidity pools. Um, definitely recommend checking it out. We have an airdrop going on, as I mentioned. Lightlink has an airdrop going on as well, so there'll be a double one combo to get a, a double airdrop, which is which is pretty unique. Uh, it, it therefore means providing liquidity on, on Electric, for example, is significantly more profitable than most DEXs are because as well as the fact that we have a lot of incentives to traders, we have a lot of incentives for liquidity providers. So we can guarantee trading volume coming through as well as liquidity uh, yields, as well as airdrop campaign from Electric, as well as airdrop campaign from Lightlink. So there's a lot of value to be made now by being early, um.
0: yeah, we'll see how it goes. Awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Where can people go to check out Electric in the meantime? You know, they want to get some more information. They want to find um, social media profiles. Do you have a community? Where would you direct people? Definitely to our Twitter.
1: That's about the top of the funnel for almost everybody. It's um, at Electric Network. Um, we have an awesome Discord with heaps of moderators. We have different um, ambassador program tiers. So if you want to get more involved, there's, there's scope to make money to get tokens to Being the running for giveaways um and yeah i definitely recommend checking out a few articles that we've written on on the defiant uh about the airdrop and about as i mentioned our key usp dlp or dynamic liquidity provision
0: awesome if people want to find you online uh do you have social media linkedin Mm -hmm. you know what's the best place for people to connect with you and chat definitely
1: on um on, on 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 twitter uh I think my name. I'm pretty sure it's O X So it's O X D E G E N Z.
0: Okay, perfect. Nathan, thanks for taking the time to come on, man. It's been a really good episode. A um, lot of great information as well on what you guys are doing with Electric in terms of it being a Dex and you know what separates you guys. And um, very excited for your guys' mainnets come out that soft mm-hmm. launch and then everything else you develop on your roadmap. So um, keep in touch, man, and maybe we'll follow sure, up with man. another episode in the in the future.
1: Let's do it. Looking forward to it. Thank you for the time.